Last week, we talked about the resurrection. And we've gone from crucifixion to resurrection. And at this point, the story is off and running. We've got a ton of momentum, and I hope that what's beginning to happen, and it won't be all the way there yet, but what's beginning to happen is that the picture ought to start coming into focus. The very first week, we talked about this being a puzzle, you remember? And we talked about outlining the puzzle and looking at the box, and you know that point in a puzzle where you're almost there? And you know there's just a few pieces left and you can start to see what you've been building this whole time. I hope that you are beginning to arrive in that place. And particularly as we move into uh, today's topic, we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit. My hope is that things start to come into clearer and clearer and clearer focus. But what's happened in the resurrection is that the doors have been flung wide open. Jesus is discovered to be alive. The doors are flung wide open to a whole new reality, the the first fruits of things that were to come. And the resurrection is kind of this big bomb that the, the energy of this bomb is felt in waves way out beyond the actual moment. And so what's gonna happen now is that the resurrection of Jesus is gonna start to reverberate all the way throughout human history. It's gonna start to echo outward and it's gonna grab hold of those who were present in the story now and it's gonna reverberate all the way out into the story of our lives. And so let's pick up kind of where this begins. Let's go to the book of Acts. So just for folks studying their Bible, Luke, um, who is probably a a traveling companion with, with Paul, Luke is the one responsible for Luke, the gospel, and Acts. It's meant to go together. He's talking about what Jesus has done as kind of part one, and then he tells us about the story of the church, about the the coming of the Holy Spirit and the the result of Jesus's ministry and the launching of this new family. So if you're going to do a little Bible study, that's a great place to start. If you want to go to the Gospel of Luke and then read on into part two, uh, into Acts. But let's go to to Acts, and let's be in chapter one, okay? So we're going to begin in chapter one. So after Jesus's Resurrection. In verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. He's speaking about the disciples. He, he presents himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and watch this, speaking about the kingdom of God. So why is he doing that? Hasn't Jesus been doing that all along? Well, he has. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been announcing the the coming of God's kingdom. But now, in light of the resurrection, what Jesus is doing to this little band of followers is he's sitting them down and he's saying, okay, no more theory. It's time for the exam. (laughs) This is the the moment where what I've been teaching is now going to come into fruition in your life. It's about to launch. This is the starting point. You now are going to begin to live into the kingdom of God. So it's time for them to grab hold of it. Go to verse 6. So when they came together, they uh, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heavens as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Jesus instructs these disciples, who he's just now said, okay, it's time to step into the kingdom of God. He tells them to wait, to wait for power that he is going to give them when my spirit comes upon you. And the thing I want us to see here is that, the, that Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit here as power related to living in the kingdom of God. It is the necessary power that they will need in order to live into the kingdom of God. That's the introduction of the Spirit. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom all along, and then he says, but wait, you need empowering in order to live into this kingdom that I have launched. God's people need to be animated, and I'm gonna use that word a bunch today because it has to do with the word spirit. They're supposed to be animated or brought to life by a new power, specifically the power of the Holy Spirit living within them. So let's talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit because in the Baptist world, the Holy Spirit, I still think is kind of that, you know, we're still like, well, I've heard it called ghost before and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that, especially in October, you know, I don't know about talking about the Holy Ghost. We, we, you know, we, so we, we need to get really good theology. Obviously, it's not gonna be a whole uh, Sunday sermon. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, but let's just say a few things here to make sure that we are clear on the Holy Spirit. The word spirit, not Holy Spirit, but the word spirit in the Hebrew is ruach. Why don't you try, because it's a fun one. <laughs> Some of you are just shaking your head, like, nope, not gonna do it, not gonna do it, okay. That word means breath, energy, vitality. So the word ruach means breath. I just like saying, can I just keep saying it? Breath, energy, and vitality. So that's the word spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally God's personal presence. God's personal presence. It's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It was the Spirit of God which was at work in cohesion with the Father and the Son in the act of creation that we worked through in Genesis chapter one and two. God's spirit is alive and participating in creation. When God made Adam and Eve, I know you'll remember this, but they became animated or alive when God did what? God breathed Ruach into their being and that's when they became alive. So from the very beginning, we have this pattern that human beings, for, for human beings, life is wrapped up in a personal relationship with God, okay? It's set in stone from the very beginning that life and personal relationship with God are woven together because what we're talking about is human beings becoming alive by experiencing God's inward dwelling of God's personal presence in them. God's breath filling them brings them alive. It was the, the Holy Spirit at work over and over and over again. What you're going to see as you read the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit that is at work that empowers God's people 
to accomplish his purposes. Again, I want you to remember that word, the breath, energy, vitality, that God's spirit was working in the Old Testament to empower or energize God's people to do what they were supposed to do, to accomplish his purposes. It was the Holy Spirit, if you'll remember, who, was, who descended in the form of a dove on Jesus at his baptism and empowered Jesus' entire ministry. We read of Jesus being uh, the, the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, and then it says basically that Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, goes off into the wilderness. You can just read that as the tagline over everything Jesus did as in the power of the Spirit. Notice that in the power of the Spirit, what Jesus does. Jesus heals, he teaches, he frees, and he delivers as the beginning of new creation. Jesus, in those moments, is giving us a sign, a window into what a human being filled with God's personal presence looks like on the earth. We see in Jesus a glimpse of God's purpose for humanity as Jesus walks in perfect obedience and cohesion with God's Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and inaugurated and launched this new creation which began, as we said last week, in the resurrection of Jesus. And then Jesus then turns around and pours out the Spirit on his disciples and, this is key, and all who place their faith in him. In fact, John describes the disciples' reception of the Holy Spirit as Jesus literally doing what? What do you imagine? breathing on them. You might think that's a little personal that Jesus kind of like, oh, you know, that's not the picture. This picture is meant to grab us all the way back into the book of Genesis where God breathes into creation and, and they become alive and Jesus breathes in on new creation and, and his disciples receive the Holy Spirit by the breath of the Son of God. Now, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit lives in each one of us who are members of God's family. Why? To empower or animate, there's that word again, to empower, energize, animate us to live in God's new creation. I think we have all sorts of things wrong about the Holy Spirit. I don't wanna go into all those, but we kind of imagine him as this weird figure. Either that's kind of on one side that we don't really have anything to do with or he's just like, that's Jesus in my heart and it's very Sunday schoolish, and it doesn't really ever get beyond that and he's kind of like maybe... Uh, some other uh, mythical creatures or whatever, uh, but we don't ever, there's no relatedness in the Christian life to the Holy Spirit. But what I want us to see here is absolutely crucial is that Jesus tells the disciples that the empowering or the animation or the energizing of the Spirit within them is not only what God intended for human beings from the very beginning, but it is necessary with no way around it for human beings to live rightly in the kingdom of God than to have the power and the energy of the Holy Spirit in them. It is a necessity, and by design, the moment you come to Christ, the old person is gone because that old person was dead, and you become alive again with God's Spirit living in you. Not just so God can hang out with you for a little while until you die, but so that you're energized and animated to live into God's kingdom and to announce the gospel. There is specific purpose behind the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that I really want us to wrap our heads 
around today. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Before we go, I think a really good picture, or as you're going, kids in your bags, you have one of these. And this is another one of those moments where I don't know what the kid's toy is called, but it's one of these. Like you get these at the birthday parties, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, grab it. I love this. This is such a cool, Becky and I were talking through this this week. I think this is such a cool way to understand the Holy Spirit, okay? Kids, you guys know how this works. Ready? You ready? Okay, stop. Okay, go one more time, one more time. (laughs) Mine was no good, right? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Uh, This is a great picture. This thing is, it has form, but it's pretty lifeless. What has to happen for this to do what it's supposed to do? It needs to be filled with your breath. See, this is a picture of the Christian life. For us to accomplish the purposes that God has for us, we need to be filled with his breath. But when you fill this thing with your breath, it becomes alive, right? You don't just fill it with your breath and sit there and look at it. What happens is it comes to life. Action is produced as a result of the filling of your breath into this fun little toy. Parents, you can deal with that all the way home. All right, let's put those up. Acts chapter two, this is, this is where, we're gonna, where we're gonna go today. Let's camp out a little bit. Now, we're gonna be uh, several days, we're out of the Passover now. We're a ways away from the Passover. And we're, in a, we're in a time called Pentecost. And on, on Pentecost, in Acts chapter two, the, the focus was on receiving the law for Sinai. So the Jews were celebrating the reception of the law. And so this is the interpretive backdrop. Remember, Passover was really important. The Feast of Unleavened Bread and then First Fruits was really important as an interpretive backdrop for Jesus' death and then resurrection. In the same way, Pentecost, the celebration of the giving of the law, is an interpretive backdrop from within Israel's story for the understanding of the giving of God's Spirit. Okay, so this is all gonna happen at, at uh, Pentecost. And on Pentecost, again, the, the celebration was receiving the law. And what God is doing here is he's pouring out his spirit, he's pouring out his personal presence, filling his creation, why? So that they would walk in obedience to and fulfillment of the law the righteous standard of God. That's what God said he was gonna do in Ezekiel chapter 36 when he said he was gonna put his spirit within him. He said, and cause you to obey all of my statutes. This is how human beings live into the righteous law that God has given is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wanna pick up two themes here uh, as we go into Pentecost, okay? So the first one, is the picture of the temple, okay? You remember the picture of the temple. The temple is that heaven and earth meeting place. In in Exodus chapter 40, uh, the the desert tabernacle, which is a portable temple, it's completed. And there's this really cool moment where in the completion of the tabernacle, God fills it with his glory. I wanna read that section to you in Exodus chapter 40, and then we're gonna go right back to Acts chapter two. It says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. 
But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. So kind of have that in your mind. Go back to Acts chapter two. We're gonna read about this day of Pentecost beginning in verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Ferga and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You remember back a few weeks ago when we talked about the temple that Jesus judged the temple system and said that the, the true temple, which would be torn down and built back up three days later, was him. He pointed to himself as he judged the temple and said, I'm the, the true temple, I'm this, I'm this heaven and earth meeting place. And we look back into Exodus chapter 40 where that, that temple is filled with the glory and presence of God and Pentecost becomes this exciting moment, just like in Exodus chapter 40, where God's presence fills the temple. You might go, what? Fills the temple? I thought the temple was this structure. No, Jesus pointed to the structure and condemned the structure and then pointed to himself and said, I'm the fulfillment and I'm making a new temple, a new place where I will dwell. And then when he pours out the spirit on Pentecost into and onto his people and we see the image of fire, we are seeing again this Exodus 40 moment where the glory of God is filling the temple. Only this time, that temple is Jesus' body. It's his people. It's his covenant people. Paul comes back later and says that the people of God are literally Christ's body. And so the, the Pentecost is this fulfilling moment of the glory and presence of God being poured into his people. It's the fulfillment of temple. The second theme that's really, really, really important here is the theme of family. Now, if you think back to, and you may or may not have, have, have uh, read this in, in our time together, but during the time when Jesus uh, spent, after the resurrected, or during the time that the resurrected Jesus spent with his disciples, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives them a job. We've been over this so many times. You'll recognize these words. Here's what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. 
And remember, I am with you to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And he's building outward and to the ends of the earth. What are we talking about when we talk about family here? What's happening? Jesus gave the disciples a job to preach the good news of the gospel to all nations, to the all of creation. Why? Because in Jesus, the doors have been thrown wide open to participation in his covenant family. Remember that? Covenant family, remember that strange moment in the story where God goes and calls Abraham and begins this redemptive journey in the family of Abraham? Remember how odd that was? And that story has, has gone all the way through as a thread all the way up until this point. And what Jesus is saying is now, this covenant family that belongs to me by faith, the doors are now wide open for any and all to come in because of the work of Jesus. And part of what he's telling his disciples to do, empowered by the Spirit, is to invite everybody into the family. Remember the whole point of the family in the first place was what? For the blessing of the whole world. All of creation was to be blessed by the calling of Abraham's family. And Jesus is saying now, it's happened. It's fulfilled. Now anyone who comes through me can come into this covenant family. Because Jesus has all authority, all the nations, can come to have fellowship with the God of Israel and with one another. That's an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. It's something that I think we need to really spend some time thinking about today. Because this new family was meant to be a strange new family. This wasn't just meant to be something normal. This was supposed to be a strange, stick out from everything else kind of family. But here's how it goes. All those who are in Messiah Jesus, they've been born again by water and the Spirit. And they're now joined into God's covenant family. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it this way. That Jesus is creating in himself one new humanity in place of the two, speaking of Jew and Gentile. So in place of these categories of God's covenant family and then everybody else in Christ, there's now one new family that brings both of these together. He says he makes peace and reconciles both groups to God. Reconciles to God. Why? Because both groups stood in sin and apart from God. And he's saying in Christ, both are now back in right relationship with God through the cross. And this very odd group, the disciples begin to go and announce this good news. And this really odd group starts to form. People start hearing the gospel. You can read the book of Acts. People from every corner of the earth start to hear the gospel. And then they start to hang out together. Super strange, right? 
They start to get together. They start to meet in one another's homes. They start to do really odd stuff like share their things with the person next to them who beforehand would have never even socially come into contact. We're talking about slave and free, Greek and Jew, male and female, all sorts of groups that would never have much interaction, that would have fallen in all sorts of strange places on the socioeconomic scale. And now they're coming together, hanging out in each other's homes, giving their stuff to one another, and having friendship with one another. They're this strange thing called family. Later on, as time passes, people are going to call that the church. Isn't that strange? This Greek word, ekklesia, is going to get thrown into it. It's going to come down the line, and we're eventually going to call this thing the church. And I'm fairly certain that whether you know it or not, that's what you came to this morning. Now let's think a little bit about that. That group was what came to be known as the church. That group of all nations, all tribes, all different spots being brought together into one family. That is the thing that eventually becomes known as the church. I love this. One of my favorite authors, his name's N.T. Wright. Here's what he calls them. He doesn't call it a church. He he tries to describe what it really was. And here's what he says. It's a worship-based, educational, egalitarian, philanthropic, fictive kinship group. Okay, some of you are like, okay, I was taking notes and I I quit, all right? (laughs) Worship-based, educational, egalitarian, philanthropic, fictive kinship group. That's a great description. Let's go through each of those categories. Worship-based. This new family is worship-based. What does that mean? Well, they exist under the lordship of Jesus. And they worship and honor him as such. Jesus is Lord, is the banner over this new family. They are a worshiping people. They bring their praise to him and they allow his transforming power to work in and through them and into the world around them. It all begins with Jesus is Lord. Without worship, remember that thing that was broken in Genesis chapter three? Without worship, the whole thing falls apart. This whole thing is built on the worship of Jesus as Lord. Educational. Now that sounds a little bit odd, but as you read what Paul is trying to do as he goes from church to church to church, is he's trying to bring people along in terms of education. Why? So that they can search the scriptures. Because Paul believes that that being able to get into the scriptures is so crucial in understanding the story, very much like what we're doing here. So much education in our world today is what it is because of the value that early Christians placed on education. Egalitarian, some of you are squirming. I've said that now three times and you're still squirming, okay? Remember, this is the family where there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free, there's no male and female. And what they're not saying is that those categories don't exist anymore. But what they are saying is that we refuse to import cultural categories as, as a point of hierarchy. We refuse to import these cultural categories to establish hierarchy within this family. If we are in Christ Jesus, we are one. Regardless of where you might be labeled or fall into categories outside of this house, in this house and in the eyes of God and therefore in our uh, church, we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And this was tricky. This is messy. Because each individual has to decide what can and can't remain part of their life as they identified with Christ as their primary point of identity. Every single person that walks in from a certain cultural background and norm has to decide what of this can come with me and be faithful to Jesus and what of this needs to be left at the door. And then they had to sort all that out with one another. (laughs) That's a little bit messy, right? Where cultural differences remained, and I just wanna tell you, they remained. People and preferences that come in to the fray, which are good, but they had to work through the messy and, and relational process of unity amongst difference. And can I just push a little bit here? I think we're kind of sick and tired of that today and we would just rather sit in categories where everybody is just like us rather than going through the messy, liberal, conservative, whatever, 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 whatever. We got names for everything. I said egalitarian. Some of y'all are like, category, boom, he believes this, Right? We love to categorize, and they just refused to do it. Okay, philanthropic. Scripture says, do good to all people. These people, this church, this new family, they were doing what the temple was set up to do. They were teaching, healing. They were caring for others. They were mourning with those who mourn. They were rejoicing with those who rejoice. These were supposed to be the people that other people genuinely loved to have around. Like this was the good person in the neighborhood, right? Now for sure, they irritated a whole lot of people because of the way that they operated. But the Christian is the one that was gonna run into the fire, not away from it. The Christian was gonna be the one that when you were sick, regardless of whether you were their enemy or not, they were gonna come and be at your side. This was gonna be the family that was doing good in their community. This is the one that was gonna be at the neighborhood barbecue and hanging out with that guy that everybody hates. The Christian would plant themselves right next to that person. They were doing good to all as any had need. How different does that sound today? I was listening to an interview with Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Flower Mound, Texas, and he he made this statement. He said, how low is the bar for Christian witness today? And here's what he meant. In a world of hatred and violence, in division, just throw a rock out there. You're gonna find division wherever that rock lands, <laughs> right? Like I, I, anywhere, just pick a category. You're gonna find division. If that's the world we live in, don't you think that doing good to all people, refusing division and a little bit of kindness might stand out? <laughs> like how low is the bar, right? Right? And I love this. He joked about like, we used to have to talk about, you know, Noah and the ark and how that really worked and like get really scientific and try to figure all this stuff. And now it's like, just, would you just be nice? Would you just not be a fool on the internet? And you're gonna look like somebody quite different than everybody else. How low is that bar, right? And the, the idea is that when people walk in here or when we more than that go out there, they notice that this group just lives to the beat of a different drum. Like how crazy would that be if you were just nice to somebody? 
that disagreed with you. These are mind-blowing concepts in our culture. Like what if you brought them a cookie or a meal or a smile? I'm being sarcastic, and when I get that way, I need to move on. It just seems like instead of us carrying this idea of philanthropy and kindness and goodness, instead of mourning with those who mourn, because they might differ with us on the way that we voted, I'm back on it again, I just couldn't leave. Instead, instead of that, what we do is we get right there in the middle and we shout and we carry on about the same things that the world is shouting and carrying on about. And I just want to tell you, that makes no difference in anybody's life. They may be wrong about what they're shouting about. Why is it your job to tell them instead of serving them? Come on. Okay? All right. Y'all ain't going to be here when I get back from sabbatical if I keep going. So (laughs) the last category, fictive kinship groups. Here's all that means. They were behaving like family, even though it was perfectly obvious that they weren't. Behaving like family, even though it was perfectly obvious that they weren't. I mean, I don't know, just somebody brand new walks in this door, it's gonna be pretty obvious that we're not family. It's not gonna take them long. Are you guys related? Like, this is a pretty, is this a cult? Like, pretty big group? Are you guys all related? Because you're living like family. It's meant to be a question in somebody's mind, like, why are you living like family? It's perfectly obvious you're not. Why are you sharing with one another? Why are you putting up with that weird uncle? Like, just... Don't invite him to Thanksgiving, right? Like, why are, you, why are you behaving like family even though you're not? It stands out. And what happens is these churches beginning in Acts and carrying it all the way through to you and me, what we're meant to be, I want you to hear this, what we're meant to be is an advance sign of where God is taking things. We're supposed to be the advance sign of where this whole thing is headed in the first place. This in here, it's gonna be messy and full of all sorts of difficulty, but this is what it really looks like to be genuine human beings. We're supposed to be the evidence of the launching of new creation. Remember, Jesus was the first fruits. That means you're the second, third, fourth, fifth, right? How we live and move and have our being is supposed to be evidence of God putting it all back together in Jesus. And it's through this family that God is announcing the good news of his worldwide rescue project. Why is it the way that it is in here? Why? What's the answer, church? Because of, we just sang about it, Jesus. The announcement of the good news comes from within the family that is filled by his presence. The way we live, the way that we act, the way that we are family is an announcement that the kingdom of God has broken in and this is what it's supposed to look like. And so the rest of the New Testament, from right there in Acts, if you just go all the way through, the rest of the New Testament is filled with direction for these groups. That's what, that's what the New Testament is, is, is direction, specific direction, working out all the, the, the difficulties of this task with specific local groups, just like you and me. The New Testament was written to groups just like us. 
Every one of these letters is, is written to a group sitting here going, I don't know, like how in, in, the, in the wake of, 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 uh, of Me Too and George Floyd and in the wake of Donald Trump and in the wake of like whatever else, how are we supposed to live? Like those things bring up and y'all are, oh, y'all are so uncomfortable. It, like bringing those things up and then saying, this is what it looks like. This is when all that's going on, this is what it looks like to, to be faithful to Jesus. That's what the New Testament is doing. It's written into specific local context with people just like you and me wrestling out faithfulness to Jesus and unity with one another in a world where they don't belong. Y'all okay? So when we read, we should be doing the very same thing. We should be wrestling and sorting out what faithfulness to Jesus looks like, not back then, but right now. This is our sacred task. Praying and reading and uniting in friendship as we go, the most important job that we've been given as human beings is the announcement of the lordship of Jesus. How are we gonna do it in our hour? The New Testament letters are written to churches trying to answer that question. And look at me, it's gonna be messy and hard and difficult and we're gonna have to have hard conversations and I'm gonna be wrong sometimes, a lot of times, and you're gonna be wrong just some of the time, uh, but it'll be mainly me. But the point is like, we're gonna have to figure out how to get in that space together, right? And the word for it is called friendship. I'm not sure we know much about that anymore, but the word for it is friendship. Deep friendship because we've been knit together in Christ Jesus. Are we good? Because here's the deal. For eternity, we're going to do this thing called family together. We might as well start now, right? Because next week you're going to see it. The end or the beginning, it sums up with new heavens, new earth, New Jerusalem, Jesus is Lord and on his throne, living and dwelling on the earth and all his people, all creation, serving and loving him eternally. That's where it's going. We're supposed to be evidence of where it's going now. You with me? Okay, stand for our invitation. And listen, if you're in the room right now, and I want to make this clear. I know you guys, I say this every week. I create a moment, a pause, an opportunity for you to step in a relationship with Jesus. The, the reason that I do that is because it is not my job to save any of you, nor is it your job to save one another. It is the work and the job of the Holy Spirit. But God says that by his spirit, he is drawing people unto himself. He's revealing Jesus and drawing people unto himself. And I just wanna pause and just go, look, if in your life that process has been happening, God by his spirit has been drawing you to himself, like pause and I want you to think about what surrendering your life to him might look like. If he's coming after you, I want you to just have in your heart and mind, like that's God coming after you. The creator of the universe loves you that much that he's come after you in all the ways that he's done it through friends and circumstances and here and whatever else God is saying to you, I want you to be in this family. The purchase was for you to come in. 
And I just want to stop every week and just go, hey, look, if you're right there, if you need to come in, just come in. And that's so, it's so simple. Just place your faith and trust in him. Acknowledge that you're a sinner before him and allow him to redeem and rescue you. That's it. If you want help walking through that, there's pastors gonna be right out those double doors, walk through those doors and someone can certainly help you out. But I think we need to reflect on who we, on this room, who we together are really meant to be. We're the evidence. We're the new life that's springing up where death is all around. We're the family that's alive by God's spirit. God is making his appeal. His appeal for others to come to him, that appeal is coming through you and me. Are we taking the job seriously to be that kind of people? What needs to shift and change in your life to align yourself to those purposes that God has for us? Where does this family need to be more of a priority? Where do we need to stop withholding for personal gain and start to surrender, start to give away? I don't know. I'm not going to play Holy Spirit in your life. That's God's job. But we've been given a job to be the kind of family that reflects and announces the good news of rescue through Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you help us in this hour? Would you help us to be the people that you've called for us to be? Would you help us to lay down the things we need to lay down to reconcile where we need to reconcile? God, we wanna announce your kingdom, the good news of Jesus in this community. And we know that the only way we can do that is through the power of your Holy Spirit. So more than anything today, I pray that we would rest in you. I pray that we would find that you, by the power of your spirit, you are sufficient for us to live the way you've called us to live. And I pray that we would trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.